is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Hello, hello. Michelle Stanley along this afternoon. On the Country Hour today, you would have heard news of the review into Australia's carbon credit scheme. The Chubb Review was handed down yesterday and the summary, the system is not broken. Well, the evidence is that there are on-the-ground projects that are operating effectively and doing what they are said to be needing to do. There are a substantial number of ones that have been uh, that are doing what the scheme intended them to do. Not everyone would agree with that, though. You'll hear more about it before one o'clock. And continuing to talk about the rainfall today, you'll touch base with Western Australia's Kimberley to check in on pastoralists in that region dealing with the aftermath of ex-tropical cyclone Ellie. Also celebrating the wet stuff in central Australia. Yeah, magnificent rain. It was sort of spread out for a long period of time. I think it's what you call a soaking rain, you know. A lot of it, I mean, obviously there was runoff, but a lot of it just, just sort of laid there and soaked in. So I think that's going to set us up for a really good grass growing year. Oh, we love to hear it. And you will hear more about that this afternoon. 0487991057 is the text line. If you'd like to get in touch today, we always love to hear from you. 0487 First up, though, one of the Territory's largest and most intensively developed cattle stations has been put on the market with expectations it could sell for over $300 million. We're talking about Beetaloo Station with its outstation Mungabroom, which covers just over 1 million hectares on the northwest Barclay Tablelands. It's co-owned by the billionaire Brett Blundy and the Armstrong family, and is being sold with around 72,000 head of cattle. Agent Rawdon Briggs spoke to Dan Fitzgerald about the sale. They lose a mixture of uh, land types, um, around 45% being, you know, open open downs, Barclay, traditional Barclay tablelands type country. The balance of the property is Savannah, Savannah and red, red soils. Major advantage of the property is its its ability to perform during both dry season as well as or dry dry years as well as um, high rainfall years, and the ability to get cattle off off that black country, uh, black downs country uh, in these wet years, uh, is is really uh, a wonderful feature and allows for um, um, you know performance in in all all weather conditions. Uh, being 180 kilometres from corner to corner, um, most of the water off the properties runs down through Newcastle Creek into Newcastle Waters um, and their lakes uh, on CPC's property. So uh, very, very slow moving water and does no damage to any of the infrastructure. I've never been on a property in the Territory like that. Uh, generally, the water velocities on some of these properties is quite high and the damage to infrastructure is quite significant year on year. Pilo, Mungaboom and O2, no way like that and are quite easily managed in that way. Very, very good herd, very um, stable, very stable uh, supplement program in place, long-term performance through the 1920 drought into these better years of 21 and then 22 and now into 23. It's, it's certainly an impressive offering in the market.
with um, some good logistical advantages being able to come up and down the Stuart Highway. And over the last 10 years and more, there's been a, a pretty huge development program um, involving a lot more watering points being put in place. What makes Correct. that be loo development unique in Northern Australia? Pretty much from fence to fence, there's a few spilling paddocks where there's not the, the density of waters, but there's good surface water um, available. But I've never seen a property outside of the Wall Hollow operation developed to the standard. And Scott and Jane have done a fantastic job of positioning the property in the herd uh, and keeping their cost of production very, very low. So it's a, it's a credit to them, credit to the family. And i um, very happy to have this, this appointment and to be entrusted by Brett and the Armstrong family to, to transact it. There's also a sizable cattle herd uh, being sold with the property around 72,000 head. Uh, can you give us a, sort of an idea of what sort of price expectations uh, for this property? Uh, given the recent transactions, uh, not, not those just handled by Colliers but others across Australia, Price expectations are $300 million and above. The herd has a softer element to it. Has you know, it's had had some other breeds used over the over the years, not straight Brahmin, softer, lower puberty or pubescent rate or, or, or weight on those heifers. So their rebreed rate's quite high. And um, I uh, I think that the price expectations are quite within the market. And nevertheless, that's a, a pretty big number. Who is likely to be interested in forking out that amount of money for a cattle station? Well, I mean, the Harris family have cut a cheque that's much larger on recent transaction in Queensland. I, I think there'll be a mixture of both private investors, some commercial property investors that are probably um, looking at their portfolio and looking at a, a rebalancing using some uh, rural or farmland type investments. And then there'll be the usual offshore type investors whether they be supply chain interests or whether they be those that wish to um, invest in rural land and then have an operator similar to, um, say, AAM or one of those other operator, professional operators that are out there operating assets for third parties that own land. The co-owner of the property, Brett Blundy, um, he also has an interest in Wall Hollow Station that you mentioned just to the east of B. Lou. That property is also up for sale. Uh, can you give us an idea of why he's um, looking to sell his, his cattle interests? Brett's family have um, owned farmland for a fair while. I'm not sure that everyone knows, but you know, other family members have other interests around Australia. Um, he hasn't given me um, a reason so per se to sell outside of the fact that um, he's in a partnership and it takes, you know, there's always other parties that want to do other things. So uh, there's no burning desire to sell, so to speak, but they're, they're, um, they're certainly sellers, but they, um, I think they just want to uh, you know, reinvest in another um, business in the future. As you mentioned, there's been some pretty large transactions uh, for cattle properties in the north over the last year or so. Uh, Maryfield and Limbunya Station in the Territory went for $175 million just late last year. What do you think is driving these big sales? Uh, scale, it's always the major factor for someone coming to the Territory. I mean, how often do you get the opportunity in the case of, as I understand with Maryfield and Limbunya, around 50,000 head? don't have those opportunities in most other states or internationally 
uh, frankly. So, I mean, to step into a uh, market, say, Canada, the US, Brazil, um, Paraguay, Uruguay, um, you, you, you're not, it's very difficult to buy herds even of those sizes in those countries. So, um, and we've got the advantage of a very stable um, title system, uh, you know, a fairly known um, foreign investment review board, you know, process, and the rule of law is pretty strong here in Australia. So that combined with logistical advantages of being close to our market, the Northern Territory has some major advantages, both nationally but also internationally, to provide a buyer the opportunity to buy a herd of this size in a land area that may be used for a number of other things over the, over the life of the ownership. So you can't discount the renewables and the carbon carbon um, market as well. It's been probably our number one driver of North Australian land purchases in 2022 were all around, uh, you know, potential carbon offsets and the um, Labor Party's resetting of, of those offsets, which were announced yesterday. The name Beedaloo um, has recently become pretty synonymous uh, around Australia with fracking because of the potential gas resource that is that is in that region. Um, there are gas companies looking for gas on, on the property. Do you think that will um, have any impact on this sale? Everyone has their own views on these things. Um, the Beedaloo Basin has a different uh, geology to those basins that I've had other dealings with in, in Australia. As of today, we settle a, quite a large portfolio of um, cattle country here in Queensland, which is owned by a major resource company. Um, and it's prop that's a series of three properties. I won't comment on the price, but um, I mean, the, the proponents uh, have got a long-term view. Um, it's hooked to a LNG facility at Gladstone and the new owners of that land are, are you know, high net worth family who have quite significant pastoral interests as well as their commercial and residential interests and um, they'll enjoy uh, some significant royalties uh, for the access to that land. You know, I, I certainly would defend any pastoralist rights to, to either not have any interests but also be duly compensated for any access that may be given to a to an explorer or a um, a proponent in the future. I think that's you know it's just rule of law and um, common decency. So I, I just say that, that it does, coexistence does work in other parts of Australia. That's Rawdon Briggs from Colliers International. He was speaking with Dan Fitzgerald, Beetaloo Station. Alongside Mungabroom, up for sale, an estimated $300 million. That's what it's expected to sell for. More than that, it includes 72,000 head of cattle, more than 1 million hectares, 300 million, bit of pocket change maybe. It's uh, 18 to 1 on the country hour. Michelle Stanley with you this afternoon. This is Brett Young, in case you didn't know. Brett Young, in case you didn't know. Hi, I'm Melissa and I work at the Catherine Research Station and we're just down the paddock at the moment having a look at some of our trial cattle and you're listening to the NT Country Hour.
Michelle Stanley along with you this afternoon. It's 14 to 1. Hope you're well wherever you're listening across the Territory. An independent review into Australia's carbon credit scheme has dismissed claims it lacks integrity while recommending significant changes to its management. The Chubb review into carbon credits issued by the federal gov- government was handed down yesterday, but the professor who blew raised cons- who raised concerns about the scheme last year says the findings don't make sense. Here's Professor Andrew McIntosh. You know, we and others have present presented a, a veritable mountain of evidence that there's significant problems, and the review panel has come back saying. There's essentially nothing wrong and it's very unsatisfactory for us when you don't actually see any evidence to support that sort of conclusion. Australia's former Chief Scientist, Professor Ian Chubb, led the review. He spoke with Hamish MacDonald and says there's evidence the carbon credit scheme is working. Well, the evidence is that there are on-the-ground projects that are operating effectively and doing what they are said to be needing to do. And, uh, and I don't make and we didn't make and we don't argue that that's every single um, uh, project that's out there, but there are a substantial number of ones that have been uh, that are doing what the scheme intended them to do. And, do you and we re- saw some of those. Do you and that's re- pretty important. Do you reach a conclusion, though, about what proportion are operating appropriately and, and what proportion are not? Well, we, we had advice from the regulator who's responsible for doing the audits and so on, and it's a high proportion that are actually delivering or, or on track to deliver uh, the intended outcomes. And, uh, and we thought that was important. And personally, I do think it's very important. I mean, we, we, we cannot throw out the good because it's not perfect. But what is the evidence? What, are you, what alternative evidence are you working on? Because Andrew McIntosh seems to suggest that that's not presented in the findings. Well, Andrew knows uh, that um, there have been numerous reviews of this uh, scheme. Uh, over the years. Indeed, he presided over some of them uh, in in an earlier life. Um, There was one recently produced, or recently 2019, uh, that was produced which um, said that subject to some changes which were then implemented, that the human-induced regeneration scheme uh, met the uh, satisfied the offset's integrity standards. So there's there's a lot of that. There is also input to the committee from people who are scientists or or who are in this particular scheme and operating within the scheme um, who have presented evidence that says that, uh, you know, (laughs) that there are uh, good projects operating. And uh, and I think it's important we sustain those. Hamish, this is. Uh, so, so, sorry, are those are, are those yeah. individuals and that evidence identified in the in the report's yeah. findings? There are there are written submissions. They're all on the web. I mean, we didn't. I mean, I, I heard Andrew was disappointed that there's only five pages to, pages devoted to the methods. We didn't write an encyclopedia, um, but there are submissions. Many of those are public. Whatever it is, 180, 190 of them are public on the web. Uh, and they can be looked at. There, there has been, uh, you ask about the evidence, there has been a rebuttal of some of Andrew's claims. And, and I, Andrew is, a, you know, I, I, I respect Andrew's expertise. I respect his commitment. 
and uh, and I think that uh, the uh, because people um, are seriously committed, they're not necessarily right in every respect. We did make some changes or recommend some changes, which the government has accepted, to try to make the scheme better and more transparent, so that we don't have an argument about uh, this or that, but start from a different uh, data source. And um, and all of these things need to be accommodated. How do you describe the changes that you are recommended? Sweeping, minimal, uh, tinkering at the edges? <laughs> uh, no, it's significant. They are significant? I believe so. But So then why are significant changes required if uh, indeed the system is, is fundamentally sound? Because we've learned from 11 years that you can make it better. Um, the, uh, there were recommendations made by the ERAC review uh, in 2019. Um, you know, programs like this change as you learn more. But the, 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 um, when the Act was first written in 2011, we thought differently about climate change in this country. We've been through an experience where we sacrificed good because it wasn't perfect, and we had 14-odd years of discussion that got us essentially sure. nowhere until recently. But res- respectfully, well, Professor Chubb... I know it's sure, but it's, it's, it's important. Sure. But, I mean, one of the recommendations which the government has accepted is stopping credits issued using the avoided defos- deforestation method. Now, I think I'm right in saying that an estimated one in five carbon credits have been issued using that method previously. How can you say the system's not fundamentally flawed if, if that is such a problem? Uh, because to get into that scheme, you had to have a land clearing permit about 12 years ago, 11 years ago. Uh, we don't think that it's uh, likely that there would be still people holding a permit who still intended to clear and will only not clear if they get uh, into the scheme. So, and, and, it's, and, and both of the major schemes, the avoided deforestation and the human-induced regeneration, uh, sunset very soon, avoided deforestation later. Uh, our uh, recommendation, if you actually look at it, says that there is an opportunity to redo it uh, with the new system that we're proposing and a new committee that we're proposing um, and, uh, and let more people in, basically. Australia's former Chief Scientist, Professor Ian Chubb, he was speaking with Hamish McDonald about the review he led into Australia's carbon credit scheme. The review dismissed claims the scheme lacks integrity. At the same time, it's recommended significant changes to the management of the scheme. If you'd like to read more about that, of course, you can read more on the ABC News website. Nominations are now open for Farmer of the Year with 10 categories spanning all ages and stages of life on the land. Let's recognise the hard work of our rural leaders, innovators and farming legends and celebrate those in our rural sector who go above and beyond. You can enter yourself or someone you know at farmeroftheyear.com.au Proudly supported by the Kandinan Group and ABC Rural. The Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. 
Let's pop over to WA now because the floodwaters have started to recede in the Kimberley and the recovery effort and assessments have begun. You heard on the Country Hour yesterday, pastoralists in that region are trying to determine the extent of stock losses and infrastructure damage. Murray Watt is the Federal Minister for Agriculture. He's also the Minister for Emergency Management and was in the Kimberley yesterday. He says what he saw was confronting. Oh, it's huge. There's no two ways about it. Uh, I mean, flying over both Broome and Fitzroy Crossing before we landed, you could just see the inland sea that really covers so much of the Kimberley uh, and uh, obviously, there's, in addition to that, massive infrastructure damage, uh, massive uh, uh, livestock losses are very likely as the situation becomes clearer. And of course, there's huge impacts on people's homes and businesses as well. So this is going to be a very big recovery effort uh, because of the scale of the disaster that's been experienced. Have you met with pastoralists directly during your time in the north? And have you seen for yourself those dead cattle that you mentioned and the broken fence lines and infrastructure? Yeah, we even walking over the bridge uh, over Fitzroy Crossing yesterday, literally there were dead animals uh, in the guardrails of that bridge, which was pretty confronting um, to see on a roadway. And it makes you think about the, the likely number of livestock that have been washed downstream uh, and have become stranded in other parts of the Kimberley as well. Uh, yesterday, uh, I actually took the opportunity to meet with the Kimberley Past- uh, Pilbara Cattlemen's Association I'd spoken to Mick Shea, the CEO, over the weekend as well, but uh, dropped in and saw them while I was in Broome. Um, And I think everyone is really just trying to get their heads around exactly what the extent of the damage is. Uh, It's been very difficult for uh, the the graziers to be able to establish exactly the magnitude of how many losses and uh, in terms of livestock numbers and also the fencing damage. But even the little bit that I've seen for myself makes me realise that it's going to be have a very severe impact uh, on, on businesses right across the Kimberley. You've floated various funding packages. What is available now and is there more coming? Yeah, so the support that the Prime Minister and the Premier announced yesterday in Broome, uh, most of it is directed at this stage to uh, households uh, to help people even just be able to get food, pay for food, pay for the essentials, things like that. But Amongst that support includes freight subsidies uh, for uh, primary producers. One of the messages that I was hearing from the KPCA over the weekend was that the immediate concern was access to feed um, and uh, freight subsidies will be available to uh, producers in the Kimberley uh, where they need to be, for instance, bringing in uh, and transporting feed uh, for their livestock. Uh, but I would I would suspect that as time goes on and the extent of the damage becomes clearer, it's very likely that there will be additional support. Uh, it's just that people are really trying to get their heads around exactly what the extent is at this point and what support people need. Okay, you're listening to The Country Hour. I'm Jessica Hayes and my guest this afternoon is Federal Agriculture and Emergency Management Minister Murray Watt. I recognise that infrastructure doesn't fall specifically within your remit in emergency management and agriculture, but you do sit around the Cabinet table. Have there been any early discussions yet about boosting funding for repairs to infrastructure in in the Kimberley region? And and do we have any early estimates at all yet of what the damage bill might be? 
yeah, there, there certainly have been those discussions. And you're right, while I'm not the Federal Infrastructure Minister, a lot of the infrastructure repairs after these kind of uh, disasters do actually get funded through the disaster management budget. Um, we've got long-standing arrangements between federal and state governments about uh, jointly funding, usually, uh, infrastructure repairs and other sort of damage repairs. And uh, yesterday, uh, while we were in Broome, uh, you know, I was party to discussions between the Prime Minister and the Premier about what's going to be needed. Um, I think you don't need to have been in the Kimberley to realise, even if you've just seen photos of what's happening, the, the infrastructure damage is severe. And that, of course, is going to have another impact on pastoralists uh, in terms of being able to transport stock to ports and other things like that. Um, so, you know, again, it's, it's, it's too early to know exactly what the dollar figure is going to be, but it's going to be big. Uh, you know, when you see those sorts of highways washed away, when you see that bridge over Fitzroy Crossing pretty much demolished, uh, it's going to be a large infrastructure bill and it's going to be challenging to get that, that infrastructure repaired. We, we are obviously talking about a very remote part of Australia. It's not as if there's tradies uh, in, in uh, super surplus just around the corner, uh, but that is something that the governments have already started working on and, again, something that I discussed with the KPCA yesterday. Minister, thanks for coming on the Country Hour this afternoon. No worries, Jessica. That's Murray Watt. He's the Federal Minister for Agriculture and also the Minister for Emergency Management. He was speaking with Jessica Hayes about the response to the flood emergency in WA's Kimberley region. Now, of course, in the Territory, people in and around Timber Creek have also been dealing with the aftermath of ex-tropical cyclone Ellie one in 50-year floods hitting that region. Communities in the Victoria Daly region, which have been impacted, do now have access to disaster assistance funding to help in their recovery. So this funding is, is jointly backed by the Territory and Federal Governments. It includes support for primary producers, businesses, individuals and families, as well as local and state governments. So those groups whose homes or belongings have been damaged have suffered personal hardship. They can uh, apply for distress payments and assistance with the costs of cleaning up and restoring essential public assets. So if you would like more information on that disaster assistance, head online, search Disaster Assistance NT and the Secure NT website should pop up and give you all the information you need to know how to apply and whether you are or are not eligible. We're heading into the one o'clock news now. After that, catching up with the Bureau of Meteorology and uh, after the sad news of the floods in the Kimberley, we're going to celebrate the rain in Central Australia. Hello, my name's Greg Quayle. I live on the MacArthur River in the Gulf of Carpentaria and I highly recommend the Country Hour as a good listener show. It's five past one. Michelle Stanley with you this afternoon. Did you feel the earth shake this morning? doesn't sound as though there's been any damage reported across the Territory, which is great to hear. It was a 7.6 magnitude earthquake rocking us awake just after 3 o'clock this morning. It was felt on cattle stations and you'll hear one experience very shortly. Also, celebrating some of the rainfall across the Territory. Yeah, magnificent rain. It was sort of spread out for a long period of time. I think it's what you call a soaking rain, you know, a lot of it, I mean, obviously there was runoff, but a lot of it just, just sort of laid there and soaked in, so I think that's going to set us up for a really good grass-growing year. 
We love to hear it and you will hear more about that after a check-in with the Bureau of Meteorology. Hello to Billy Lynch at the Bureau today. Good afternoon. Rainfall, uh, it seems like most of the actions kind of passed us, but there was a bit about yesterday. Yeah, look, definitely on an easing trend, but if we look at the rainfall, the 24 hours to 9am this morning, top of the list was Edith Falls Ridge uh, near Catherine, 57 millimetres. And then in that region, a couple of others, Upper Ferguson River had 33, the Flora River 32. Um, some other falls around the Vic River region, so Townsend Creek had 15, um, the Upper Wickham 23, and then further south, Javois came in with 10 millimetres, and that was generally, yeah, sort of 2 to 5 millimetres elsewhere. And the final flood warning has been issued, that risk is um, on its way out? That's right, yep. So there's really nothing left of ex-tropical cyclone Ellie now, apart from just some scattered, well, it's quite cloudy through the Tanami and um, that southwest corner, but uh, the risk of heavy falls is no longer there. So, yep, the final flood watch issued uh, a couple of hours ago. Um, still a bit of humidity, though, through southern parts of the NT, and uh, trough is still going to linger across the Tanami and the Simpson district. Um, so what that means is there will be further showers through the region, um, and we are seeing showers on the Alice Springs radar at the moment. Um, and then those showers extending right up the eastern Barkley uh, at the moment as well. Also the risk of just some isolated thunderstorms, um, which could bring some heavy falls of around 20 to 30 millimetres over the next couple of days, today and tomorrow across southern NT. So, yeah, despite the flood watch being cancelled. Um, still just the, the lingering risk of some isolated heavy falls. Okay. In the top end, things have been a little bit quiet. Billy, when's the next monsoon trough likely to head back to this part of the world? Yeah, look, um, a little early to say. So, yeah, current situation, we've just got this more inactive westerly airstream across the top end. So, not seeing a lot in terms of rainfall. Um, that trough at the moment across southern NT, that moves northwards. So by around Thursday, it's sitting across the Barclay district and continuing to move northwards towards the, you know, Borodula kind of region. And then over the weekend, it looks like some of our modelling has that trough deepening, um, maybe drawing in a bit of a monsoonal influence to it. So... Early stages, maybe the weekend or early next week, the monsoon may return, but um, I've been around long enough to know that it's not a certainty yet, so we'll just keep watching the space. We won't be counting our chickens, as they say. Um, what part of the, what sorry, what parts of the NT could be impacted by that monsoon potentially next week? Oh, look, <laughs> at this early stage, you would just have to say that the northern half um, and in particular, northeastern Australia. So it might actually be that northern Queensland cops it a bit stronger than the Northern Territory as well. Um, that's all I'm able to say at this stage. All right. We won't give too much away. We'll have to check in with you again later in the week. So still some rainfall on the way for central Australia, potentially some, some heavy falls under those storms. Anything else you need to be aware of? No, that's all. So if those storms do develop, we'll issue some severe thunderstorm warnings to let people know where that's occurring. Very good. Billy, thank you.
Thank you. Billy Lynch from the Bureau of Meteorology. It is 10 past one. Michelle Stanley with you on the Country Hour. The earthquake in the Banda Sea in Indonesia was felt far and wide across the territory. It's been reported in Tennant Creek, Borolula and the Victoria River District. Alison Dakin from Newcastle Waters Station near Elliot certainly felt it. Here's what she had to say. So I got woken up early this morning uh, to the bed shaking. Uh, I was pretty sure I knew what it was, having been through some other earthquakes previous. And um, But when I heard uh, the roof start rattling and the fan rattling, I, I knew exactly that it definitely was a quake. I turned the light on just to see how bad everything was moving, but nothing was really shaking too bad. And so I turned the light off and it kept shaking and I just went back to sleep. <laughs> Yeah, right. Was it a surprise to to feel that all the way down in Newcastle waters? It was a surprise, yes. Uh, It it definitely was. I, having lived in Darwin previous, had, um, or in the rural area there, had, you know, been through a lot of quakes. Uh, But, so it wasn't unusual up there to wake up to, you know, to quakes quite often, but definitely was a surprise down here. And have you felt a quake that strong before? Uh, Yes, I've been through stronger ones in Darwin. How about at Newcastle Waters, though? What were the rest of the team no. saying? And, um, ha, ha, yeah, have, has anyone felt such a quake there? No, no. And, um, yeah, there was a few few staff that were a little bit surprised slash scared as to what was actually happening. So I got a few text messages earlier this morning saying, oh, my goodness, <laughs> what was that? Or, that was a bit scary, you know. So, um, yeah, no, they were, um, there was a few people that were a bit shocked. And how about, did, did anyone sleep through it? <laughs> yes, yep. So um, I woke up my husband, Greg, and I was like, oh, it's shaking, it's earthquake. And he just rolled over and went, that's nice, and <laughs> went back to sleep. Uh, and then um, Ali, our cook, she also slept right through it as well. So, yeah, no, there was a few people who, who slept through it and <laughs> didn't notice it at all. And looking nice and, and damp there still? Look, it's beautiful. Uh, we've had really good rain. We didn't get the huge amount of rain that everybody around us did in their rain gauges, but uh, the water hole down from the house is, is great uh, and full and overflowing still and, um, and the lake's filling up slowly. So, yeah, it's looking, it's looking really good. And what's access like to the station at the moment? Do you still have access to the, to the main road? Uh, we have some access, so there's a causeway uh, that you have to go through for Newcastle Creek and that's up and um, the waterhole is, is full and overflowing. So lower vehicles can't get through. Uh, at the moment, it's only sort of really high trucks and, and, and big four-wheel drives, um, and which has made it a little bit difficult for, for some of us and, uh, and also for the Mullender community for, for those people to be able to get in and out as well. And so it's sort of a lot of boating across. Uh, it's sort of going up and down. So when it goes down, you can get vehicles across and then it comes up again and you can't. So it, um, but you just make it work. Yeah, right. And anyone enjoying the waterhole, though, while it's up, uh, having a splash? Absolutely. So uh, of an afternoon or on the weekend when they're not working, uh, definitely staff down there water skiing. And uh, water Aiden, skiing. one of our young <laughs> water runners, he has been learning to water ski and he can now get up and stay up, so that's pretty exciting for him.
Oh, enjoy it while it lasts. That's Alison Dakin from Newcastle Waters Station near Elliot. Uh, she felt the earthquake. Her husband didn't. He slept through. Uh, I don't know how. Well, I certainly couldn't this morning. Uh, but really good to hear about the rainfall about as well, um, getting in some water skiing, which... Probably doesn't happen too often, I dare say. It's 14 past one uh, in central Australia as well. Cattle stations there are feeling pretty positive about the year ahead after widespread rain over the last few weeks. Amaru Station, northeast of Alice Springs, is looking very green at the moment with plenty of waterholes and dams filled up. Owner Stuart Weir says there has been a lot of good soaking rain. Yeah, we've had at Amaru Homestead here itself. We've had over sort of 300 mil since Thursday before Christmas. So, yeah, magnificent rain. It was sort of spread out for a long period of time. I think the biggest fall we had was about 85 mil in one storm overnight. So, I think it's what you call a soaking rain. You know, a lot of it. I mean, obviously there was runoff, but a lot of it just just sort of laid there and soaked in. So, we did a bit of fencing here close to the house. Put a few strainer posts in the other day, and it's wet a long way down. So, I think that's going to set us up for a really good grass growing year. Yeah, right. What's the view like there from the homestead at the moment? Yeah, green. Yeah, the country's going off its head. It's um, surprising how much it's grown already considering the sun's only come out yesterday. So, um, no, there's a wide variety of, of grasses and prickles and whatever else, flowers, everything growing. So it's going be, gonna to be a really good year. And how widespread was that rain right across the property? Yeah, yeah, pretty well. I mean, south of here, you know, down towards Dnieper and Arapunya, that way was a lot less, probably, you know, up to 120, 150 mil less. But in saying that, it still had a very good rain. And, and north and east of here, well, you could probably nearly double that in places. I mean, Agadagda had a hell of a rain. And uh, north of here, Elkidra, Murray Downs, that way's had way more than us even. So, um, you know, it's, it's pretty general. And what does all this rain mean for you at, at this time of year? Oh, well, we've just finished floodgating. We've had to pull a lot of floodgates up, but nothing serious, just the normal river channels, like the creeks just all run pretty general floods. Uh, we finished that. Um, now a bit of maintenance. We're doing some work on some cattle trailers and getting ready for the season because I, I think it'll be a, a bit of a late start because there's so much surface water around and and uh, obviously all the water courses have run decent floods in the Mulga and anyone who knows about Mulga country, it's pretty treacherous till it dries right out, so... Yeah, maintenance and, um, yeah, have a bit of a blow, to be honest with you. We'll, um, it's good to not do much for a while and then we'll get into it once we um, are good and ready. So does that mean there has been a bit of damage around the place? Oh, not not really with the roads, no, just general wear and tear with the, with the rain like this. But uh, this part of the world, like around Alice Springs, is soft, so you've got to give it a chance to dry out before you want to put any trucks or anything on the, on the station roads or you might disappear. And in terms of the season, um, where does this put you in, in terms of your, your cattle feed and how does this year compare to, to past ones you've had? Oh, this is this is shaping up to be a really good year. I mean, obviously, we all went through that drought three or four years ago or three years ago, and then we had a we had a good wet um, about this time last year, but it was only one rain, so it got us out of trouble and kept us going throughout the year. I mean, we've got to remember it is only early January, so... You know, we probably do all need a bit more later on, which hopefully will come. But having said that, once you've had a, a good start like this, a 20 or a 30 mil actually does something moving forward. 
Yeah, fingers crossed it does come. That's Stuart Weir from Amaru Station, northeast of Alice Springs, speaking with Max Rowley about some lovely soaking rain they've had on the property in the last couple of weeks. It's 18 past one on the Country Hour. Let's have some music from Lee Kernigan. This is the Outback Club Reunion. Lee Kernigan, Outback Club Reunion. It's 22 past one. Shoot underneath the great catch! Monday, ABC Sports Summer of Cricket continues. This is a one-dayer we don't want to miss. Catch all the action of the women's one-day international between Australia and Pakistan. Every ball, every catch, every wicket and every big kid. Australia v Pakistan, live from Brisbane. It's perfect! On ABC Radio, ABC Sport Digital and live on the ABC Listen app. I'm Harry Lawton. I'm a bullfighter here at Catherine Show Radio. You're listening to the Country Hour. Michelle Stanley with you. Today, the majority of agriculture lies above ground, of course, harvesting crops, grazing cattle, picking fruit from trees. But what lies beneath? I'm not talking about soil, but rather fossils, particularly dinosaurs. In outback Queensland, one town is digging deep with hopes to create a tourist destination as an attempt to diversify from the agricultural and trucking industries in town. Lucy Cooper filed this story. It might not be Jurassic Park, but the outback Queensland town of Richmond is home to history over 100 million years old. Once an ocean, the town is now home to kilometres upon kilometres of fossils. The fossils are drawing in people from all over the globe, like Barb and Gary Flewelling from Nova Scotia, Canada, who first stepped foot in the town in 2007. We knew of the fossils. We went out to the pit where everybody can go out to dig Uh, We found a vertebra about the size of one you would see in a tin of salmon, and we found one fish scale, and we thought, wow, this is just so great because these things are 100 million years old and we're the first persons ever to see them. Coming back nearly every year since, Gary says it has become a bit of an addiction. It's too good, too special. Uh, Always, always surprises. New life forms, uh, you would think... They would be known. They're not. There's still many coming through the door from uh, 100 million years ago. And they're fascinating. Just like what came through the door today. We've never seen that creature before. It has the luster of a giant squid, but it has the shape of a shovel-nosed crab or a stingray. Uh, the, The tail is incomplete, but we have both top and bottom of the creature and uh, I have the feeling that it's going to go down as uh, something new. The new fossil they are talking about was discovered by a volunteer in the fossil pit, Townsville local Harrison Warren. Despite the drive taking five and a half hours from Townsville and often working in heat above 40 degrees, Harrison says he wouldn't trade the experience for the world. So I live in Townsville and I come out here every few months 
Um, basically just looking for fossils. It's a really good way to contribute to citizen science out here. It's just super accessible. Anyone can do it. And you might get lucky and just find something amazing. Like even just this morning found something that the guys at the museum think could be a new species. And that's pretty common out here. Um, there's just so much to find. And and it is, it is hard work, but it's definitely worth it when you do find something that is interesting. In quite the ironic sense, the million-year-old fossils have breathed new life into the small outback town. It is just amazing what's coming out of the ground now. We've gone to another level and, you know, as you know, Richmond was 40 metres under the water in the old inland sea 100 million years ago. So as um, even in the wet seasons, the big wet seasons, they expose more fossils. People go there now and they say, well, I was here three years ago. That wasn't there then. That's, that's a brand new fossil. That's Richmond Shire Mayor John Wharton, who says tourist numbers are growing as word spreads. There isn't any doubt that the fossils are a target for any tourist that comes to Richmond. There's no doubt about that. I mean, it creates jobs. And that's what, you know, every council should be about, creating jobs. It really is a have-to-see-it-to-believe-it moment. A seasoned pro at Fossil Pit Digs, Harrison Warren says it is still hard to fathom quite how old they really are. It's super interesting just seeing the comparative biology of things that were alive 100 million years ago compared to, you know, things that are alive today. And there's so many similarities and even, you know, the way that the fossils are preserved um, looks like they could have died just, just, you know, just the other day. It's, it's, it's hard to fathom how old that is. Like, the animals that were alive here, these species lived alongside dinosaurs for another 35 million years before um, the meteorite, which caused the extinction. And with a history spanning over 100 million years, there is a lifetime of discoveries to be made. I just chip out away kind of two metres by two metre blocks, and that takes a really long time. So if you were to cover this whole area, it would take many, many decades. And, and there's so much here that we haven't found yet. There's so much hidden just below the surface, and it's just a matter of time before we find it. That is Townsville local Harrison Warren finishing that report from Lucy Cooper, 28 past one. Time now to check in on the markets. Trevor Hess has the details from Roma. The first sale for 2023 at Roma attracted a relatively small number of 2,442 head. Cattle were drawn from western districts as well as the local supply areas. A fair panel of restocker and feeder buyers were present and operating and the small panel of export processors were very active in the market. Yearling steers to feed could not maintain the levels of last year. However, the better end of the yearling heifers to feed experienced very little change in price. Cows also sold close to firm on the levels of the previous sale. Lightweight yearling steers to restockers made to 568, average 502. Yearling steers to feed for domestic market made to 504, to average from 414 to 472. Heavyweight yearling steers to feed made to 424, to average 377. Lightweight yearling heifers to restockers made to 444, to average 407. And yearling heifers to feed made to 430, to average from 372 to 397. Cows sold to 304, to average 297. This has been Trevor Hiss from MLA's National Livestock Reporting Service. It is about one minute away from 1.30, one minute away from the end of the show. But if you miss the start of today's Country Hour, the big news that Beetaloo Station is up for sale alongside Mungabroom Station. 
It's expected to sell for over $300 million. It includes about 72,000 head of cattle, just over 1 million hectares on the northwest Barclay tablelands. Up for sale, $300 million. You can listen back to the podcast if you'd like to hear more on that, some of the details in there. You can search NT Country Hour online or just look wherever you typically get your podcasts. That's it from me on the Country Hour today. I'll catch you again tomorrow from half past 12. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. It's 1.30.